Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 644. Don't start vast projects with half-vast ideas. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Scott Tucker. Hey, Scott, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm ready to roll. All right. Great to have you here. Scott Tucker is the general manager at Borelli Motorsports in San Jose, California. He's a highly experienced automotive technician, tuner, Concord-level vintage automobile restorer, a college instructor, and skilled business manager. Working closely with the owner, Ralph Borelli, the team at Borelli Motorsports provide their clients with the finest in performance automotive care and restoration services. Scott was a calibration engineer and performance developer for Dynan Engineering, North America's largest BMW tuner. He was the service and restoration manager at Canapa Design. Bruce Canapa has been a guest here on Cars, yeah? And he cared for a wide variety of classic collector and vintage race cars there. His long career around formidable automobiles has allowed him to drive just about everything from a Yugo to a Ferrari 250 GTO. So, Scott, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment before we get into the questions and share a little bit more about your career, your business, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, I've been in this business 30 years. I started when I was um, 13 stocking restoration parts for Corvettes. But my passion for automobiles probably started a little bit earlier than that. My father used to bring us to car shows and RV shows and boat shows. And uh, we had a large family. There was five kids in the family. And my dad would take the boys off to these shows to get the, get us out of the house. <laughs> sure. My father had an interest in automobiles. He didn't have anything fancy back when we were growing up. But he always had the latest issue of Road and Track in Car and Driver magazine. And I remember... Uh, sitting in his bedroom, going through his uh, magazine racks for, for hours reading those. That's really where the, uh, the interest started. Then, obviously, coming into high school and getting my driver's license, I was very excited to get out on the road. I had the opportunity, when I was a senior in high school, to take ROP classes at the local community college. The reason I decided to take that program was, if I did take those classes, 
I would not have to have another class after lunch three days a week. So I was kind of getting getting out of school early because of it. But once I uh, I started taking the classes, I found that it became it came uh, very easy to me and uh, very naturally, and that I was good at it, and I was getting the highest grades in the class. So I I became more and more interested in it. Me and my friends started working on our own cars. We kind of spent our weekends and evenings just standing around talking about cars, working on cars. When I graduated high school, I decided I was going to study automotive technology full-time. So I uh, enrolled at DeAnza College's day program. The college has two different programs, one that runs at night and one that runs during the day. The difference is the daytime classes, you actually get hands-on experience. For example, their engine machining program, they have a full engine machine shop with all modern equipment, and you're required to actually operate every machine and rebuild an engine in the class. It's a a nine-month course. It's four hours per day, five days a week, and very intense. Mm -hmm. Compare that to like trade schools where the entire course is eight months and they just try to cram everything in there. The Anza Colleges program, there's actually three programs, the engines course, the uh, electrical and drivability course, and then the suspension and transmission course, and they're all a year long. So in order to complete this entire program, it's three years of full-time school. Wow. When I was a senior taking these classes at Deanza, I competed in the now defunct Plymouth AAA troubleshooting contest, which was a competition between high school auto shop students all across the country. This used to be a very prestigious program. There were 100 teams that competed just in California, mm-hmm. and then every state had a number of competitors too. And then whoever won each individual state then went to the nationals and competed in Washington, D.C. So it was, a, it was a very big program. And that troubleshooting contest is what really started to pique my interest. That was a time, that was 1990, and that was a time when carburetors were just being phased out and fuel injection was started. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's worked on cars from the 80s, especially American cars or maybe even Hondas, know that they're a nightmare. They are just a jungle of vacuum lines and wires and sensors and just all thrown in there. So it was very complicated, and the workforce that was around at that time just didn't have the skills to be troubleshooting computers and electrical systems, but this young uh, hotshot could come in there and fix these problems with ease, and I, I, I really excelled because of that. And that diagnostics was a theme throughout my career. I was always the go-to guy when you came across a difficult-to-solve problem because I could break it down into logical steps and solve the problem. Well, as we continue through your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, and it's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Scott, take the wheel. One that really brings back memories is when I was uh, going through college, I worked for a venture capitalist 
he had a little Porsche 550 replica that he raced autocross, and he, he yeah. hired me to, to help him maintain it. And on his wall, he had a printout that said, don't start vast projects with half-vast ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that on the wall because it was, you know, it was a good, a good memory right. hanging out with that guy and, and working on his Porsche. Part of what is me is planning, planning projects. And you don't want to start vast projects just, you know, off the cuff without actually planning it out. And I think that, that um, rings true with that saying. Very, very good for the kind of business that you're in when you're dealing with high-end cars, restoration service, and that kind of thing. Well, you talked a little bit about growing up in a family with, uh, you had five kids, your dad had car magazines, took you to a lot of events and so forth. Is there a story you can share with us that instigated your passion for cars? Is there a pivotal moment when you think back, when you realize that, oh, you know what, I'm a car guy? That came in high school Definitely before I got my driver's license, I had friends who were older than me, so they got their driver's license early. And um, one of my best friends from high school, he and his family were into muscle cars and Fiats. Mm-hmm. I was fifteen year old, fifteen years old, and he was sixteen, and he had a uh, what were those Fiat Spiders? And we used sure. to tear around the hills of Saratoga and Los Gatos in this area, and. Um, it was just a whole lot of fun. And then that in combination with taking the classes at the end of college just really set my brain moving because every time I dry, drove a car, I would be thinking about things we discussed in school. You know, envision the engine turning over and, and wheel bearings and how a transmission works while I'm driving. And that's when things really took off for me. I didn't have any... I didn't really have any other interest that ignited my passion so much until I started getting into cars. But once I did, it was all over. And anybody who knows me knows that started very early. Fiat's and muscle cars. Now, there's a juxtaposition if there ever was one of two extremes. That's for sure. Well, Scott, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood, get our hands a little dirty, certainly something you're not afraid of, would you share with us a huge challenge, even a great failure that you faced along the way in your career? But the most important part of this has to do with what did it teach you so you could carry that lesson forward? When I was uh, 23 years old, I was uh, studying engineering at Cal Poly Pomona, and somehow I injured my neck and I herniated uh, a disc. I didn't know it at the time, but it was extremely, extremely debilitating. It was... uh, very, very painful. I ended up dropping out of school because of it and ended up having to come back home. Went to the doctors here. You know, they did an x-ray and kind of dismissed me as some young kid. Basically, I had to live with this pain in my neck for, I think it was like six years before I finally found a doctor who would do proper tests on me and figure out what was wrong and propose a repair. So, my gosh, six years? Six years of oh, what gosh. I described as red-hot poker in the back of the neck pain. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine that. Throughout that period of time, I continued to work and, and uh, go to school at night. I'm a lifelong student. I'm always taking classes. And uh, just kept pushing through, but finally it got too much, and I I reached out to somebody, and uh, they referred me to a, a, a spine doctor, and did an MRI and found that I had two herniated discs. So 
so we scheduled surgery, but the insurance company only wanted to pay for one disc because they said the other one would heal itself. Um, <laughs> oh, it did not. Yeah. And it must have been two years later, I had to have a second surgery and have that second herniated disc fused. Mm. And, uh, you know, of course, the, the time between the first surgery and the second surgery was even more painful than it was before, but I kept pushing through and working and yeah. keeping on with life. Had that second surgery, thought I was going to be relieved, but unfortunately it was even worse yet. I'm not exactly sure what the complication was, but it, it got unbearable. And I ended up another two years later, finally having a third surgery. And that third surgery finally fixed the problem you know, once I was healed, I was up and running and my career was off again. In between these surgeries was just a horrendously hard time for me. Although I, I, I kept up with life, it was really hard. You're sharing a really personal story and I really appreciate that. For folks out there going through these kinds of things, what's a good takeaway from you that you could share with somebody to give them a little hope, a little inspiration that there is an end in sight. Things do get better eventually. Exactly. That That is the message to take away from this. You just got to bear with it. Be um, proactive on getting treatment. If the doctor says there's nothing you can do, go to a different doctor and find yeah. it out. Yeah. And that has helped me out in my latest health challenge, which is I uh, was uh, diagnosed with uh, AFib, rapid AFib, uh, which my heart rate would unexpectedly rise, usually in my sleep, but sometimes when I'm awake, up to 200 beats per minute and just stay there. Oh my and in May, I had to have a surgery for that called an ablation. They go in through your leg and then they go in and they burn some scar tissue into the heart. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to take care of it, but it ended up coming back, and it actually started coming back pretty badly. So Mm. on December 9th of this year, I am uh, going back in for surgery to have that second surgery, Um, and hopefully this time it will take care of it. You know, from what I've learned from the time I was having problems with my neck, it's not not the end of the world. It's not going to phase me. I'm just going to get it done and get it over with and continue on with life. And I think that's what that whole experience has taught me. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, I, I'm so sorry you've had to go through all that, and I wish you the best coming up here in December. We'll hold you in our thoughts for that next surgery that it accomplishes what it's supposed to do. Wow. What a pain, to use a very bad pun, to go through on all these situations. My goodness. But like you said, keep fighting. Keep trying to find a better doctor. Keep pushing through. Uh, find a solution. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's shift gears here, Scott, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I would like to ask you about a career aha moment. It's one of those times in your career where you go, ah, this is a new path I need to go down. This is the focus I need to have now. Share one of those with us, would you? Well, let's see. I was working at a carburetor shop, and I was tuning carbureted cars, hot rods, stuff like that, and um, going to college at the same time because I needed to uh, finish my degree in automotive technology so, so I could apply for a teaching p- position at the end of college. And I took, took classes, got the degree, actually took the classes that I was supposed to teach, so I learned the lesson plan, 
And then in the end, I didn't get hired, and I was very bummed. So I applied for a job at this little restoration shop called Canapa. Mm-hmm. And that's what launched me into my career at Canapa. Ah, five okay. years I spent there. And then after five years at Canapa, I decided I wanted to move on to something that was more me, uh, where I had more control over the projects, and that's why I moved to Pirelli. Very cool. Well, how about Prouder's career moments? I would assume you've had many. You've worked on some incredible cars. You've made some clients really, really happy. But is there one that stands out for you that you could share with us? I think my favorite project was um, right when I started at Canapa, I was assigned to the restoration of uh, Shelby Cobra CSX 3360, which is the last Shelby Cobra to roll off the assembly assembly line oh, wow. in December of 1966. So it is the last original Cobra built. And I was the mechanical lead on that, and I was given the opportunity by Bruce Canapa to just completely tweak out on this restoration and make it as perfect as possible. I did so much research on that car. I wanted everything to be perfect. I tracked down the original owner of the car. Oh, cool. Uh, it was a strange story how I found his name. I found I was searching through forums and I found his first name on one forum and his last name on another forum. Oh my god! And I just went out there and searched for everyone with his name. You know, I just googled it and tried to find everybody with his name. Luckily, it was a very peculiar name. I found two, called both, left messages messages on one both on uh, both phones and. One of them called me back, and it was the original owner of the Cobra, and he was absolutely overjoyed. Nice. And he actually went to the car's debut at Amelia Island and uh, told his story. Yeah. And he says it was just one of the highlights of his life. He was just <laughs> so excited about it. How fun is that? And then when the car competed at Pebble Beach, he also went there. So Very cool. That was really fun. Really, I love the Cobras, and I loved working on that project. Yeah. Very, one of my my favorite project. I'm sure it was. Well, let's have a little bit of fun here and go back in time. I'd love for you to share with me your first really special car, that first car that you got that really had some meaning for you, and maybe share a memory you have with that vehicle. A real special car that I I just absolutely loved is a 1973 Mazda RX-2 that my boss at the time had given me as as a bonus. Um, need a little work, but still a very fun little car. Yeah. Very light and nimble, and this that rotary engine, the car felt like it was propelled by air, like it was just being blown by a big fan. <laughs> it was so smooth and so fun to drive. Uh, the only downside of the car is sometimes when you would shut it off, you'd, you'd get out of the car and walk away, and seriously, 45 seconds later, there must have been gasoline vapor still in the muffler. The, the exhaust would just... Boom! <laughs> and uh, wake up the entire neighborhood, and it was always this, you know, minute-long delay. Right. And I ended up giving the car to my sister. She was still in high school, and uh, when she got that car, she could never come home after curfew again. <laughs> no. She would get caught. <laughs> your parents probably uh, convinced you this is a great car to give to your sister. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what a funny story. Well, how about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've owned that you've let go that you really wish you had back in your garage? Definitely. I um, had a 1985 Mazda RX-7 
GSLSE, which was the fuel-injected engine in the first body style. Mm-hmm. And the one that I had was very, very good condition, drove very nicely. The only reason I bought it is it was a, a second car. I also had a Honda Civic Si, and that was my daily driver. I moved into a apartment complex where I only had one parking spot. So I had to move the car, like, daily to prevent from, from getting a ticket, and it got really old, and I eventually just said, you know what, I'm going to sell it. Yeah. And put it on Craigslist, and, of course, five minutes later, I had 20, 20 <laughs> offers, and yeah. somebody actually flew out from L.A. to come pick it up. And, oh, gosh. And I just really missed that car. It was so much fun. Yeah, very cool. Well, what I'd love to do now is have you talk about Borelli Motorsports. Uh, you've been there about a year now. You've got a really great position there of uh, coordinating things, running things. I'd love for you to share a little bit with our listeners about the company, what you do there, what the company does there. Sure. So I'm general manager of Borelli Motorsports. The shop is owned by a man named Ralph Borelli. He's a commercial real estate developer. He wanted to start a racing business or a motorsports business. Mm -hmm. I came to the company after growing restless at Canapa and decided I wanted something where you know, I could, I could do projects that were more my own. And when I came to the company, the company's focus was mostly high-performance modifications on late-model domestic muscle cars, so Mustangs, Camaros, Challengers, things like that. To a certain extent, that is still a very large part of what we do. I actually came knocking on Ralph Borelli's door and told him, uh, you know, this is who I am. I work for Canapa. I'm looking for other opportunities. And six weeks later, he contacted me, and we made a deal pretty quickly. So the the company, though, uh, our our main focus is high-performance modifications. We do uh, superchargers, turbochargers, nitrous oxide. We have a, a dynamometer, an eddy current dynamometer, we're all about high-performance modifications. We'll build an engine from the ground up. We do camshaft swaps, anything you can imagine. Suspension modifications, custom alignments, wheels and tires, all that stuff. One of the reasons Ralph hired me was to help establish a restoration uh, department in the company. Uh, Ralph, when he was growing up, I think straight out of college, he bought a, a, a junkyard and actually worked in the junkyard. And then he also tells me a story of between the age of, I think it was 12 and 16, him and his father restored a car together, and it was a great memory for him. So he wanted to, he, he really was interested in starting a restoration company. So mm. I was hired to bring this company, not only with keep the high-performance aspect of it, but also to start restoring cars. And that is where we're branching to. We're starting to do driver quality restorations. We've done a few Corvettes. One of the areas I am wanting to specialize in is sorting restorations. And what this means is, you know, a restoration can basically be divided into two different phases. You got the first phase where you're tearing everything apart, refinishing everything and flapping it back together. Well, any any monkey can do the righty-tighty, lefty-loosey required to do that. It's after everything is assembled, it's getting everything to work. Old cars had a lot of adjustments, a lot of tuning to do, and not just on the engine, but things like 
door locks and latches and heater control cables and stuff, they all had to be adjusted. And if you don't adjust them right, they don't work properly. So what we find in the restoration industry is there are a lot of cars that are very pretty, but nothing works. And (laughs) uh, it's super common, super common. All those cars you see coming over the auction block. But that's the kind of stuff that I want to concentrate on. And it's, it's going that last 10%. And that's, that's one thing I learned from Bruce Canepa is, you know, his business model revolves around that fact. He buys cars that he says are 90% and brings them that last 10% um, and makes sure that everything is perfect. Right. And that's a service that I plan to offer to people because there's a whole lot of people that have bought restored cars and are very unhappy because they don't run right. These days, who wants to work on old cars? It's, it's uh, rare to find a good old car shop. Right. And that's what I want to be able to offer people in the San Jose area. Very cool. Awesome. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Scott. If you were a car, what kind of car would Scott be and why? Oh, man. Well, I definitely have uh, quite a bit of patina. Um, <laughs> there you go. A little, rough a, around, rough, a little rough around the edges. I would suspect that I'd probably have a... You know, a door or a fender that had been replaced in is off color because I'm I'm colorblind and I probably wouldn't be able to tell. I I would say maybe a '50s American car. Okay. <laughs> yeah, kind of a well-driven, uh, patina yeah, '50s I mean, I, American car. <laughs> I, I've been around so many cars that I don't know which one represents. Yeah. I know which ones are my favorites. And sure. Well, we'll get to that question we'll at the end. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Scott, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's cars. Yeah, sponsors. Everyone who knows me knows I'm really picky when it comes to my cars and keeping them looking new. I'm a huge fan of Covercraft floor mats. I've protected my vehicle with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft floor mats. They will protect your vehicle's factory carpets from daily abuse, weather, pets, children, weekend adventures, and those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and stylish way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft floor mats come in a wide variety of styles, materials, and configurations, all designed for maximum protection. In addition to Premier Plush and Berber Custom Floor Mats, you'll also find Cargo liners, canine cargo area liners, dash covers, and sunscreens enhance your vehicle's looks while protecting the factory finishes with easy-to-install and easy-to-clean floor mats. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them market Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimball.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, FINRA SIPC. 
Okay, Scott, we're back and we're entering the last lap. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? The thing that really clicked for me when I was learning about designing high-performance engines was definitely the camshaft and specifically how important the intake valve closing event is. And I learned that from Dina Elgin. Timing that intake valve closing point is really one of the the key things in building a successful high-performance engine. And just learning that from Dina Elgin uh, really... It's one of the things that sparked my passion for high-performance engines was, was learning about valve timing events because it's such voodoo for most people. They don't understand what these lift and duration mean and all that stuff. And Now, how about a personal habit? Would you share one of yours that you believe has helped contribute to your success? I think um, balance between work and family. There were times when I worked a whole lot of hours, especially when my son was very young. And you don't get those moments back. No. So I, I am lucky that now I have a job where I can um, go to work. And I am a workaholic, but then I can come home, have dinner with the family, um, put my son to bed, put my wife to bed, and then I get back to work and I get on the computer <laughs> and answer emails until midnight or 1230. This job at Borelli has really helped me balance the the work home life that had always been an issue in the past. Yeah, it's a tough thing, but it's very, very important. And I'll let our listeners know it's uh, Thursday evening at 1035 p.m. we're doing this show. So uh, <laughs> there you go. Hopefully the yep. kids are tucked in and uh, the wife is in bed reading a book and uh, we'll let you get back to her in a few minutes here. Now, how about a resource? There's a lot of great resources these days with the Internet, but is there one that you'd like to share with our listeners? I think my most important resource is all the relationships I've developed over the last 30 years. Mm, perfect. You know, you meet somebody in the industry and they may not seem important now, but you may reach out to them 10 years from now mm-hmm. and do work with them. And uh, you got to keep those people in the back of my mind. I hired, when I was working at Canada, I hired a mechanic that I went to school with 25 years ago, uh, a, a brilliant guy named Matt. And, I hadn't talked to him in 25 years, but I remember him from school and how smart he was. And I searched him out via Facebook, connected with him. He eventually came down to the shop and we hired him. And, uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, so, yeah, just, you know, keep keep in contact with people. Even if you only talk every five years, just let them know that you're still there. And yeah. eventually you develop this big network and of people that you can rely on. Absolutely. So important. I've always told my kids that. It's not so much what you know, it's who you know. Network, stay in touch with people, uh, reach out. Definitely important. Now, how about a book? Is there a book you've read recently that you think the Car Show listeners would really enjoy? I recently read Shop Classes Soul, Soulcraft. You know, are you familiar with that book? Very familiar, yes. I know that Yeah, book. so a customer of mine sent it to me. I recently read that, and that just, the book really resonated with me because, you know, it's talking about how the trades, you're very much emotionally involved in it. It's more than just a trade. It is a passion. Working with your hands is a passion that you you just don't get the satisfaction uh, working an office job. You know, right. yeah. uh, creating things and fixing things is just 
a very special skill to have, and I'm very proud to be in the trades. Absolutely. Matthew Crawford, I believe, is the author of that book. It came out some time ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a great book. I really enjoyed it, and I have shared that book with a lot of friends as well, so great choice. Well, listeners, you'll find links to all these great resources Scott has shared with us on his very own show notes page at carsyad.com slash Scott Tucker. There's another great place on the Cars Yeah website called Guest Recommended Books where this book and the past 643 guest books are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. Really nice resource for you if you enjoy reading all sorts of different kind of books. All right, we're up to the checkered flag here, Scott, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the price, I'll buy you any car in the world today. And you've seen a lot of cool cars, so you've a lot to choose from. What would that vehicle be? And more importantly, why? I think there's there's very few people that have driven as many fabulous collector cars as I have. Not only have I, I driven a lot of uh, specific models, but I've driven a lot of examples of specific models. So I would say, hands down, the car that I would love to drive every day would be a 1973 Porsche Carrera RS, preferably a lightweight that car is just the perfect balance of nimble handling and power and the best part of all, which is the music coming out of the tailpipe. Those cars <laughs> are just amazing. Ah, uh, the holy grail. I've driven five or six of them. Uh-huh. One of my jobs at Canapa was as I, I test drove all the cars that went out of that place. Nice. Well, You've picked the holy grail of the Long Hood 911s, that's for sure. And uh, yeah. I know one of my very regular listeners and good friend, um, Bill, is smiling right now because he has one of those. It's set on the lawn at Pebble Beach. He went home with a trophy with that car. and uh, Awesome. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I had a chance to buy one so many years ago when they were still very expensive for me at the time, not where they are now. And yeah. I just think back, oh, man, I wish I... Shoulda, coulda, woulda, but um, I know that that's exactly that's all that's that's what this industry is about is the shoulda, coulda, woulda. Well, at the time it was a ridiculous price even for me then, so it really doesn't matter. But yeah, definitely the holy grail. That's a car that uh, if I could pick one to put in my garage, definitely that would be the one. So very nice. What what kind of color combination would you like on that RS today? That lightweight. Oh. I'm not sure. Probably, maybe <laughs> orange. I I drove an orange one and it it just looked looked yeah. the part. So I'd say orange. Tangerine. Being, being colorblind, it doesn't really matter. Well, yeah, for you, but we'll pick tangerine for you or blood orange, one of those. Yeah, two there you go. Tangerine. Color. That's right. Yeah, that'd be really nice. All right. Well, Scott, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed learning more about you and what you're doing there at Borelli Motorsports. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you offer us? One parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that 73 Carrera RS lightweight. Trust your mechanic. Um, <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> establish a relationship with a good mechanic and keep it for a long time. Oh, so important. Yeah, I've got a, a great friend who's been on the show here, Pete Bristow, Bristow's Automotive, just over here over the bridge. And uh, so happy that I've got him as a friend and a mechanic for my old cars. He's just done a fantastic job. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and Borelli? Well, you can visit us at BorelliMotorsports.com, and that's spelled B-O-R-E-L-L-I, Motorsports.com. You can read more about me on there and more about our offerings. 
Awesome. Great. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to all these great things on Scott's show notes page at carsyad.com. Just type Scott in the search bar. His page will pop up. I'd encourage you to check out what they're doing there. I think it's an awesome shop. Uh, you can go through their website. If you're over there in the San Jose area, you can stop in and visit Scott and his team and check out what they're working on. Scott, thanks for being so generous today, this evening, this late evening that we're talking here with your time and your expertise. I want to thank you for sharing your experiences with the Cars Yow listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. All right. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.